listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry for a very special episode. I'm a very there. special episode indeed. Uh, I guess we're at uh, episode 100. Yeah, we've been at this for uh, just over two years now. Um, yeah, it's like it's a... It's like it's like it's kind of weird reflection. I could look back and say how how long I actually stuck with something almost. I know, I know. Yeah. I mean, and for us to stick with something, you know, as a marketing vehicle <laughs> for for more than two years. I mean, you know, we we've certainly uh, done more of these than we have uh, written blog posts, for example. Um, ouch, ouch. I don't know. Do we want to tell people that? Uh, probably not. We can decide in the edit later. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, I, yeah, well, I think what's exciting about uh, what, what I've been looking forward to is we've kind of been looking ahead to our 100th episode is um, it's just we should let our audience in on, uh, on the notion of what we're thinking here, which is where we, what we really want to do is kind of break down what we've seen as kind of some of the greatest hits of the first 100 episodes. Yeah. And what are some of the themes that have emerged from there? And, uh, and just reflect on some of the, uh, I think, the key lessons along the way. Uh, of the cooler ring in the first 100 shows. So exactly, yeah, and and I think it's going to end up being a, a handful of uh, episodes where we break down some of those key themes because they certainly did uh, reappear as we interviewed different and uh, phenomenally smart marketers in the manufacturing space, and uh, it's really been interesting to kind of see some of those things show up again and again, because they're obviously on the minds of, uh, of these exceptionally intelligent marketers. Yeah, and I guess first things first, what seems to be on the mind of a lot of folks lately is taking more account-based approaches to marketing and sales. So, uh, so today's show, we're going to kind of look back on some of the um, episodes that have uh, focused in on account-based marketing. And you know what did we learn along the way? And the and the the first episode, episode sixty three of the of of the show, um, uh, featured uh, the co founder of Terminus, Sangram, Sangram Bajra, yeah, no, and uh, really brought a very interesting and uh, you know certainly has more experience in ABM than most, having coined the term, indeed, and uh, and, and and certainly. Um, I think just you know helped our audience kind of focus in on um, on account based marketing and and what are the basics or the fundamentals that in some way power it. So here's a clip. So to set the stage, I still we we really truly do believe that we're just in the early innings of this. So it's like five to ten percent of the market. The early adopters are in the game and are checking out and, and scouting everything that's going on and will essentially drive the mass market in the next few years. Um, I, I think there are probably two or three areas that are really interesting. One, we we think that this idea of fit, intent, and engagement is pretty solid, which means find the right list of target accounts. So that's your, you know, you find, find the right fit. You just figure out, oh, do you know your target account list? You'll be surprised. Anywhere I go, I, one of the, the things I do from, from the event stage is like, uh, raise your hand if you know your total addressable market, exactly the number of companies you should be closing or selling to that you can serve. And in a room of 1,000 people, there are like five people 
who would raise their hand. And I think that's because all of them are from the same team or like it's a peer pressure. So a lot of fun. People don't even know the exact number of list of accounts they need to go after. I think that is something that they can literally take away from this, ask themselves and go back to the team and ask like, hey, sales or marketing or CEO, do we know exactly, not not billion dollar um, you know, market size, no, no, exactly the number of companies you need to sell that you can sell, you can serve this year or this month, like, you know, start focusing on that level of, of preciseness. And I feel like that's that's a big challenge. So I feel like getting above the noise to figure out what who want who you want to go after is a big challenge right now across industry. Uh, and I think if people can figure that out, the fit part, then then figure out the intent, which is as you said through intent data and stuff, is like all right. Now that I know, let me closely watch any and everything that happens with these accounts that I care to close this month or this quarter or this year. And then engagement is really where you pull the real data from all these engagement metrics where I I don't I imagine a day where marketing and sales are actually looking into the same dashboard and not walking into a room with two different spreadsheets or two different dashboards saying we don't know whose numbers are correct. I, I really feel like that's where the world is going. That's where I think Terminus wants to go is to unify that that one view for marketing and sales because Quite honestly, it, I wrote it in the first page of the book. I believe that marketing's job is defined by sales, which means we need to drive incremental or exponent, exponential sales. So in that case, if we don't have the same view, the same dashboard, the same pain that sales might feel at any given time, then then we're missing the point of this whole thing. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, what, what Sangram had to say there about, you know, ABM being at the cross-section of fit, intent, and engagement is really, I think, at the heart of the fundamental of ABM as a whole. You know, you you have these technologies that enable account-based advertising and account-based marketing uh, allow you to get a better insight into the top-tier accounts that that you may be targeting as an organization. And I liked how Sangram pushed us in that episode to um basically challenge people to say raise their hand uh if if you're in an audience of a thousand marketers raise your hand if you know your total addressable market and all the companies within it do you have a target account list right yeah 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 i mean hopefully more do now i mean that was episode that was 40 odd episodes ago so well we have been in the middle of a pandemic maybe they have other things on the go I suppose, but I mean, as as we've seen with a number of our clients and and ourselves as well, you know, ABM has truly been a, a bit of the replacement um, and the focus for a lot of marketers as they have had to abandon tactics and strategies that may have worked pre-pandemic. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, and um, I guess uh, you know, as I as I as I think about that, and it's so you know, it's, it almost feels like gotcha journalism a bit. You know, when you ask somebody, "Do you know your tar- total addressable market as a marketer?" Well, they know that the as if the marketing lead or a sales lead, they know the right answer to that is supposed to be yes. Um, and uh, so, you know, it, um, it just kind of uh, I, I guess uh, at that point. Um, uh, I guess where do you where do you go from there if the answer is kind of no, and and I, I was 
to me, it kind of spoke more to just getting to the, the basics and maybe paying attention a bit more to some of those basics. And it reminded me of a conversation that I was in around an ABM program and uh, brainstorming with the sales team about um, uh, how we could focus on a specific segment of targets. Uh, and that the sales leader let slip that those exact people were actually directly contacting him about working with this firm just four or five months ago, but the firm wasn't ready to take them on as clients. And, <laughs> I, and I just remembered thinking, well, did you keep a list? Like, could we go back in the email and find out who, who, who reached out to us? Yeah, those are tier A1 plus. Right. But, it, but I guess so you kind of you poke the bear a bit and you think, oh, that's obvious, right? And I guess I think the lesson to us as marketers is that, you know, yeah, there's an awful lot of, of, of this business that's pretty tough. Um, and sometimes we can make our lives easier, but it's keeping our eyes wide open to the opportunities that show up and the stuff that is obvious, i.e., we can, we can know who we want to serve. We can identify those target accounts. Why wouldn't we do that? Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, or we can at least keep track of the people that call us and ask to buy from us so that we can maybe call them back when we have some capacity. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And, you know, and I, I think the, you know, one of the key lessons from Sangram in that episode as well was this idea, you know, you're not just talking about the target accounts, but you're you're talking about the the individuals within the buying committee within those target accounts. and And how are you crafting uh, a sales experience, a journey map, you know, the content that's going to be required in order to address those specific people within that buying committee. Mm. Because, you know, we may know who our tier one accounts are or know who, you know, who's reached out after a trade show to, to speak with us. But, you know, we're not necessarily thinking about the different needs of those different people within that buying committee yeah i'm just sitting here nodding my head in agreement (laughs) nothing to disagree with there exactly yeah um i guess like moving on a little bit um we i think the episode episode just before uh sangram's show Mm -hmm. we had uh, an incredibly smart account-based marketer on uh daniel engelbretson who at that point was doing a lot of account-based work uh with phenonics that's right. Phenonic. And, uh, phenonic. Ah, well, now, you're, now you're just making fun of me. I mean, I can't, no, I'm not. With the, with the word phenonic, you're going to bring this up? <laughs> Hooked on phonics worked for us. <laughs> the uh, But episode 62 um, with Daniel um, uh, really unpacked a very successful uh, tier one uh, ABM campaign that uh, basically moved, if my memory serves, um, something like forty tier one target accounts from 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 uh, being unaware of them to a closed one. Yeah, one hundred percent win rate. Just indeed, incredible. So here's a here's a little clip from uh, from Daniel. So you know, in Optoelectronics, there when we started, we thought there was about forty accounts. So the world uh, of engagement was forty. As we got into it, we learned there were they were closer to to ninety accounts. That took us a while to figure out. So the campaign we would run there, or that we are running there, is two tiers. There's about fifteen accounts in the tier one, and the remainder in in tier two. 
of the 90 and and that's that's what we we've been running with and um and that's actually an excellent use case for abm you know when you have a small tam and you need to win a large percentage of it um being as relevant as possible when you're doing your marketing uh to those accounts is going to is always going to improve your your likelihood of converting it and also putting in place kind of the the listening and the structure to to pay attention to what's going on at those accounts helps your your win rate so that that campaign the tier one campaign uh you you had referenced digging around on my linkedin that was actually the campaign that we won uh an interesting award with from demand gen report we achieved a hundred percent win rate in that tier one campaign over 10 months and that was absolutely part of what makes abm awesome but moving out of out of that you know life sciences there's about 6500 hospitals when we were breaking down the targeting, uh, I'll, I'll jump to the end. They they map back to what's called IDNs, Integrated Delivery Networks, and there were about 65 that we were targeting, which represented about 2,200 hospitals. So, you know, from an account perspective, we were organizing it by IDN, but from a like physical location perspective, that was the 2,200. And then in in food and beverage, we have many different subverticals that we get into. But most of the, all of the campaigns that we're running right now are tier one and tier two structured. And usually there's 20 or 30 tier ones, and then there may be 150 or 200 tier twos. And you know, Jeff, um, on the, the, the thing about Daniel's um, approach to ABM, uh, yes, very much a holistic approach, very much connected to the sales organization and, and, uh, uh, if you will, seeking uh, the validation um, and support and ongoing coordination with sales. I think that's a, a great lesson for marketers seeking to take an account-based approach mm-hmm. um, is to be eyes wide open to the fact that you need to, you know, that's going to involve knocking the wall down between marketing and sales at some point. And I think too, I mean, the the other part, I mean, obviously he was very well invested um, at bridging the sales marketing divide, as it were, in, in terms of uh, making sure that they were well aligned, but also really looked at the, you know, what could be offered to people as an asset to get them engaged. You know, if you're targeting these tier one accounts and you're you're going after people who are going to be very valuable to your business, you know, maybe you don't just repurpose an old piece of content from somewhere else. Maybe you think about what is the the one thing, the interesting thing that we can create or craft or or say in order to truly convert those visitors. And I, I think what they did was just next level. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, so folks, they, they built an augmented reality app to show the product in situ uh, at their prospects, uh, retail locations. Um, a highly... Um, obviously an highly interactive piece of content, uh, very useful uh, to prospective buyers, uh, and one that, um, uh, you know, takes a a bit of investment. Uh, It's not um, simply, like you say, uh, uh, repurposing an old white paper or something like that. And, uh, you know, and that's so instructive because it's not like, uh, I guess the old equivalent would be like a marketer. Some marketers approach account-based advertising 
like like they just discovered television. <laughs> and they say, oh, okay, well, I guess TV. And wow, well, TV is a really big thing these days. So all we need is a TV ad. Yeah. And then it's going to be on the, 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 the we're going to be on the moving picture box and things are going to happen. Well, yeah. um, the quality of the ad matters. The quality of the assets matter. And it certainly matters in account-based advertising. And that's something that Daniel uh, got right out of the gate. Absolutely. And, and had, you know, not just creating the, the impressive augmented reality app that is going to capture the attention of the people within their, their tier one accounts, but also thinking about, you know, and this goes back to the tie in with sales, but what are the, the touch points that come after that? What are the things that we're doing after they've tried out that augmented reality app that led to a 100% close rate, you know, because you don't just put out one interesting piece of content and then sit back and wait for the money to roll in. You have to have a structured and well-considered journey for those people to move through and a sales team that is on board with actually executing that and obviously seeing the results at the end of it. Yeah, and all of that seems like if all of that seems like it's the polar opposite of a magic silver bullet that's really easy to fire, that's because it is the polar yeah. opposite. Yeah. yeah. It is, and it's not like, okay, well, now that we've heard that he had a 100% success rate with that, that every time we do an ABM campaign that we're looking to roll out an augmented reality app, like that is not the the solution. It was the solution in that one particular case, <laughs> and it worked beautifully. Uh, yeah. You know, he certainly had uh, a number of other um, campaigns that were... Um, you know, perhaps more traditional, I guess, in terms of what was offered. And, and they did just as or, uh, very well, too. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's certainly a uh, the case where there's a lot of planning going into each one of these campaigns from the outset in order to uh, ensure the best possible result. The, the one Additional piece to Daniel's integration with sales that I think is important to highlight is how he seemed to really view the voice of the sales organization as the voice of the customer. Um, he he kind of, you know, he'd say like, okay, well, you know, run this by the sales organization. Do my customers, I think he said, do my customers actually think like this? <laughs> you know, and have sales yeah. validate that. Now, uh, I mean, I'm a little torn because, of course, I've also worked with a number of sales organizations that carry, a, um, if you will, a, a, an oversimplification and perhaps even a misunderstanding entirely of their customers and often of prospective customers if they're a very intensely farming sales organization versus a hunting one. Um but I, but I do think that Daniel's approach there is um, is instructive, uh, and, um, and and maybe as marketers we'd be well served to um, uh, believe every once in a while that somebody else might know more than we do, uh, and we could ask sales about uh, about uh, uh, about our work uh, through the lens of do my customers actually think like this yeah. based upon your sales interactions with them. And trust their instincts maybe more. You know, there's a lot of marketers that could probably benefit more from actually, you know, asking those questions of the sales team and uh, and truly being invested in processing the answer and figuring out how to integrate what they're learning with the marketing outreach that they're going to be doing. Mm. 
Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Also on the uh, ABM side of uh, of what we've learned over the last hundred episodes, uh, we had Fabio Luz on the show from Schneider Electric, and 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 Fabio, you know, he's the Latin America media team leader and uh, North American digital media strategist for Schneider. Obviously, a, a, a huge organization that sells in every corner of the world, um, but. I mean, there, there's one thing that he said that isn't necessarily even directly related to ABM per se, but really applies to absolutely every part of an organization's marketing and sales. And that's that if you're selling outside of purely English speaking countries, you need to be creating content that is contextual and translated and aware of where it's being consumed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let, let, let's let's first listen to what Fabio had to say. They kind of know Schneider and also because was a was a global account, we had like kind of different content to approach then as well. So let's say we were working with um, different language. So we had like Germany, French, Spanish, um, yeah, uh, English. So like it was kind of different content as well, just to make sure that we are reaching those accounts for a specific region. Uh, with their local uh, language as well. Uh, otherwise, let's say just use like English to reach them, maybe you wouldn't see like a good conversion rate for that. So, but yeah, pretty much like when um, they knew Schneider, pretty much the sales team somehow they had in the past like interact with them. But for those specific accounts, we could see that it had a huge potential. So that's why we like start to work with them. Yeah, I think even because like when we are working with those accounts, let's say if you are speaking like the same language than them, I think the chance to have a higher conversion rate is much higher. And it's funny because actually when we start this campaign, like we start this campaign a little bit, like I would say much smaller, just with basically LinkedIn doing like uh, ABM and it was just English, right? So we said, okay, how we can leverage that? So how we can go to the next step? And for sure with that, we start like to develop. Uh, so pretty much our ABM strategy was not just like social media uh, with uh, LinkedIn, but also like working with um, third-party database to reach those accounts. And we had not just like web burners on the local language, but also white papers uh, with uh, local languages. So how people are engaged with us, what kind of uh, piece of content are downloading. And also here at Schneider, we have like uh, our customer stories, which usually we see a very good performance because people want to know, okay, what that company is doing, what uh, the what is uh, uh, the success and everything else. So also we translate all those pieces of content for the local lang language. And with that, we could see very high uh, conversion rate. Okay. So look, we know that marketers, um, you know, Schneider is one of those organizations that a lot of um, industrial B2B uh, uh, organizations will kind of hold up as being, you know, a, marketing leader in a number of aspects so yep. um uh certainly very well known etc um but I, I so i guess i wonder if those marketers are going to be willing to take fabio's advice uh, i sure hope they are um it, it has been something that i have felt that i have just um it's been a drum that i've beat for what feels like uh 20 plus years Same. Uh, and, and which is to say I so the, let's, let's just be honest. This is a counter argument. Uh, English is the language of business. Uh, in our industry, almost everybody does business in English, 
And I get that that may indeed well be true. And then the implied kind of next kind of comment there is, well, what would be the real business benefit to us of translating all of this content anyway? What would be the real benefit of talking to somebody in their native language? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, what do you think? What, what, what would be the real benefit? You know, can you say 10% lift? Can you say 50? Like they want you to put a hard quantitative number. Like we, there would be an ROI of, 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 of 6%. Of the, now, there is no way to know that. Um, <laughs> but there is a fundamentally human way to think about this. And if you can just for one minute imagine that you worked in an industry where English isn't the most common language. Mm-hmm. And then, and the most common language is actually in, in that industry that you now work in is one that you don't understand. Yeah. Or you only have a marginal passing understanding of it. Which, by the way, guys, if English isn't your first language, it's a tough language. Um, <laughs> so, like, if you can try to put yourself in that position for just a moment... Um, you can begin the thought experiments around, wow, like what could be the benefit? Like how, what are, what, what are the possible connections that I can make with the marketplace? How much richer could they be if I just chose to respect them enough to communicate with them in their language? Because I kind of want their money. Well, and, it, and if you think back to what we were just saying about what Sangram was talking about, uh, you know, about uh, all the different personas in all of those different accounts that you're going to be targeting, you know, just because, yeah, yes, English may be the language of business and perhaps the CEO and the CFO speak English beautifully in the Latin American company that you're targeting. But there's probably engineers, there's probably other people who are as important a part of the buying committee as anyone who may not speak English at all and may be Spanish speakers or Portuguese or German, you know, who knows? And if you are providing content in that language and your competitors aren't, you're already going to have a leg up simply by being aware that that English isn't the only language spoken by your customers. Yeah, yeah. And and then also, like, just think about, well, what if... What if everybody that you wanted to sell to actually did speak English just fine, but it wasn't their native language Yeah, for a huge percentage? What does it even say about your company that you make the choice to speak to them in their native language? Like, even if they cannot, uh, to me, it just, there's a, there's a base level of respect associated with that, that the benefit of, of, bringing that to market uh, would be impossible to know in advance but yeah you've got to just you know of all the things that you ought to just trust your gut on here guys i think this is one of them well i mean we're talking about schneider electric it's not exactly a small company you know and if they're doing it and seeing success with it i think that a lot of us could probably you know, follow their lead and expect to see good things. We're we're going to have, you know, one of the episodes that we'll be recapping um, some of the other themes from the Cooler Ring that we've heard is uh, just the 
the cost and the time of creating content. Like we all know that content is expensive to produce and we'll be talking about that soon in, a, in an, another episode. But at the same time, the cost to translate content while expensive is not as expensive as creating that content off the top. Net new, you're, you're taking it and translating it and moving it into, you know, regionally specific language or what have you. So there actually is a savings there for the cost of translation versus the cost of creation. Hmm. And, and, and I really want to, uh, yeah, I really want to challenge people to, um, uh, you know, because it's easy to look at Schneider and say, "Oh, of course they do it. They they have you know they would have almost unlimited resources. They're such a big company, but my company can't do it." It's like, yeah, well, but you also don't have the same number of SKUs that they have. You know, you know, it, you know, selling to this. Yeah, you don't have as much content to translate from the get go. Right. So there's a there's a scale that applies in the other direction as well. So uh, I, I uh, don't. You're not going to get away that easy. Don't use that as the excuse. Part of our, our, our vehemence here is being from a country with two official languages. So we're just used to creating things in both French and English so often for our clients. And, you know, I mean, it, it is certainly the kind of thing that if we were targeting more manufacturers in Quebec, we would probably look to translate more of Coolest content, for example. Indeed. Yeah. No, that's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we don't currently target those companies, so that's why it's all in English. Indeed, indeed. Well, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, and uh, it's also difficult for us to service uh, entirely a francophone account. Yeah. Uh, given uh, that you know, if I just successfully buy a bottle of wine in a Paris wine shop in French, I think I've just cracked the code, you know. Um, but the. It's a, it's a far cry from uh, being able to do that and offer um, a reasonably sophisticated marketing council en français. But uh, uh, in, any, in any event, uh, uh, I think this is, look, we, we've, we've kicked that around enough. I hope we've um, uh, convinced our listeners to take a good hard look at, uh, at, uh, at their translation practices and how they serve their customers in a language of choice. Uh, it is a global manufacturing world, and uh, maybe we ought to act that way. Now, uh, and uh, so I hope uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I, I, I've really enjoyed kind of re reflecting on this, Jeff, and kind of going back over some of these uh, uh, kind of key lessons. I, I think that, uh, um, you know, it's just a, you know, th th those guests uh, brought an awful lot of value. Uh, it's just uh, great to have a chance to reflect on it even more. Absolutely. And I also uh, look forward to the other episodes where we'll, we will be recapping some of the other lessons that we've learned over the last hundred episodes or so. And uh, we'll be back with more very soon. Um, great to chat with you. Until next time. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.